This is episode eight with Rain Takahashi, the CEO and founder of Jonten. Welcome to Asian Tech Leaders. My name is Justin Peng, and each week we share insights from Asian tech leaders to help inspire and guide you to reach your full potential. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get started. Rain Takahashi is the CEO and founder of Jonten. Jonten is an AI-backed, on-demand insurance platform that makes obtaining insurance quick and easy. On this episode of Asian Tech Leaders, I chat with Rain about his upbringing as a Japanese immigrant in Canada, how he decided to quit his job and create a startup, and the advice that he would give to people who are not sure if they should stay at their company or leave. Hi, Rain. It's Justin here. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks so much for having um, for having and making the time to join the podcast. We're really excited to have you here. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you. I kind of wanted to start with, um, you know, not something that is overly publicized about your background, but something that I am uh, really interested in and is somewhat timely, which is that you worked at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment on the uh, Raptors. Yes, uh, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and obviously, the Raptors, they won the 2019 NBA championships, and the city and the country are still, I think, on a, on a relative high. Um, but share more about that experience. What were you doing when you were working with the Raptors, and um, how long did you end up uh, working there for? Yeah, I was there for five seasons with the best job ever. So I did it uh, while I was a student still. Or I, I joined originally when I was a student and stayed on even when I was still working part-time afterwards. But I did it for five seasons, and I was pretty much the flag boy or the guy that would throw T-shirts into the crowd, uh, get the crowd hyped up. So <laughs> I, it, it was an awesome job, an awesome part-time job. Uh, and I got to go to all the home games. Oh, wow. uh, well, I had to work all the home games, I guess. And but you're actually in the you're in the arena, right? You're pretty much – you can watch. Oh, that's seats in the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I would be on uh, the court sometimes throwing t-shirts uh, in the tunnels, getting ready for the next timeout or whatever it is where uh, we have to bring out whatever it is for the timeout show or the game that's uh, played during timeouts or halftime. So it was just a lot of running around, but it was <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> what a great job. I'm sure a lot of your friends uh, were very envious of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, any, any specific memories that uh, stood out to you? from the those five seasons that you worked at the Raptors? Yeah, I'll give you two. The first one is, uh, this was during the Bargnani days, but oh, uh, yeah. my first season, we made it to the playoffs, and I was the one that ran out with the flag uh, during the first home game uh, yeah. before the game started, so that will forever be forged in my wow. memory. And then uh, I got to go to Chris Bosch's birthday party three years in a row. What? So, yeah. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> wild. That? Oh, awesome. It was, uh, it, yeah, after a while, you... you it, yeah, it's weird because you see them during the game and then you see them uh, in a casual setting with some local celebrities and other celebrities. And you don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, my God, uh, look who it is. <laughs> Playing it cool. Like, yeah, you got to play it cool. It's like, hey, hey, Chris, happy birthday. You know, like, good job the other day. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And um, what was the interview process like for that job? Because I'm sure they wanted to make sure you had a lot of energy and enthusiasm. So I'm curious how they even interview for that. Yeah, so I guess uh, throughout university and a little even in high school, I had a, a bit of a dance background, if you can call it that. Not formal, but uh, like hip-hop, b-boying kind of stuff. So I put that on my resume, and I guess they saw that as, oh, he's not afraid to be in front of people. So I think that's what really did it. We didn't really have to audition in the sense that 
uh, they didn't make us like stand up on a table and yell really loud or anything like that. It mm-hmm. was a pretty formal process, but they definitely focused on like the, like you mentioned, uh, how are you in front of crowds? And, uh, and my honest answer was I'm a dancer. So I guess I'm pretty good and comfortable <laughs> with yeah. being in, in front of the crowd. Yeah. That's great. Um, and we'll get to um, kind of uh, Jonathan, the company that you started three years ago soon. Um, but would love to actually start off by uh, hearing a little bit more about your upbringing, uh, where you were born, um, and kind of what some of the major influences were for you growing up. Sure. Uh, so uh, born in Tokyo, Japan, uh, immigrated to Canada when I was uh, one. And from there, I, uh, yeah, been in Canada since then, got my citizenship when I was uh, five years old. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm uh, an immigrant, I guess you could say. Right. And did you move um, to Toronto or Vancouver? What part of Canada did you uh, settle into at first? Uh, eventually settled into Waterloo, actually, Waterloo, oh, okay. Ontario. Yeah. So they're famous for obviously Blackberry. <laughs> Very cool. And... Talk a little bit more about the community that you're raised in. Was it, um, you know, quite diverse? Was uh, there a decent Asian Canadian presence there, or were you much more of the minority? Definitely the minority. Uh, my first set of friends were definitely non-Asian, uh, but I think that really uh, uh, what shaped me as a as a person because earlier early on I. I learned that it doesn't matter what your background is, everybody can be friends. So um, my best friends, uh, Caucasian, uh, and uh, I guess we were, I was definitely the minority. Uh, it wasn't as multicultural back then, but now Waterloo's obviously become uh, a lot more uh, mm. diverse. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was very fortunate to be in a community that accepted everyone, even back then. So mm. yeah, uh, very uh, thankful for that. Mm. And how did your Japanese background kind of play into your day-to-day life growing up? Uh, outside of the house, I don't think it really played so much into my day-to-day. I would, uh, and I still do, speak Japanese at home to my uh, to my mom. But uh, other than that, uh, outside, it was pretty much like, hey, you're Canadian, which is like what everybody else is. So, uh, yeah, I didn't... From my memories, I can't remember mm. ever thinking, "Oh, I'm Japanese and they're not." It's kind of it was kind of like, "Hey, we're all friends and we're just gonna all play together and climb trees." And stuff like that. <laughs> Did you ever have a lunchbox moment though, where you brought maybe some oh, Japanese food yeah. to lunch and your classmates were like, "What is that?" I that remember was- eating seaweed when I was in middle school. Like my parents packed seaweed in my lunchbox, and people looked very strangely at me <laughs> yeah no you nailed it that's actually a good one thanks for the reminder so uh i'm sure you've seen in asian uh supermarkets like rice balls with uh, seaweed so i remember taking that once to school uh and then yeah it was got some funny looks but uh and it's funny because now you think about it and people wouldn't even flinch it's become yeah. almost all normal but uh yeah back then i guess it was pretty unique right but it sounds like your identity growing up was still very much like you know you're you're canadian much more than you're you know Japanese immigrant living in a you know medium-sized town in in Canada is that right like you actually identified very closely with being Canadian and it didn't actually um, create any identity issues for you growing up yeah I guess I, in, I was fortunate in that sense so yeah definitely ha- didn't have any 
major discriminatory, uh, I guess, uh, situations or anything like that. So, mm. yeah, very lucky there. And then I guess, you know, growing up, what were some of your academic or intellectual interests growing up? Oh, man, uh, growing up. So let's see here. What, what was I interested in? Uh, cars and typical guy stuff, but... Uh, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, exactly. Especially <laughs> being Japanese, which we have a pretty big car culture, and we have obviously a lot of the car manufacturers. Uh, so cars were definitely my favorite. And then as I went into high school, started to really like um, uh, the business side of things. So... Mm maybe starting a business or uh, more specifically marketing, advertising, uh, the creative side. So yeah, I think uh, it went from cars to marketing and then now I guess I'm in tech, so it's mm -hmm. been all over. So you did your um, undergraduate education in finance and marketing, right? Yeah, uh, well for Laurier University, so that's in Waterloo as well. Uh, and so I did marketing finance, uh, graduated, did finance for about six months, didn't like it. So decided that I wanted to do something else, kind of taught myself the basics of coding. Uh, back then, it was HTML, CSS, uh, basic JavaScript. I mean, it's a lot more advanced now, but uh, I taught myself that. And I haven't really looked back since, so I'm still doing a little bit of coding, uh, more UX, UI design now, mm -hmm. and of course, uh, running a startup, I guess. <laughs> That's great. And share a little bit more about kind of your parents' role in your academic decisions and even your early career choices how how much of an influence did they have how supportive mm. were they overall i would say they're more or less very supportive mm. uh, of course just like any parent child relationship you have those situations where you say you want to do something and they're a little hesitant like if i were to tell you right now oh, i wanted to become a professional gamer back then they would have been like there's what that how is that a thing but now it's a big thing so Anyways, uh, so yeah, they were pretty hands-off in a, in a good way. They would never really judge me for wanting to do a certain thing or uh, follow a certain career path. So they were supportive uh, whenever I actually made a decision on what I wanted to do. Um, I, if anything, they were more pushing me to actually make a decision right? instead of just trying to figure it out. It's like you should probably make a decision soon so you can actually focus on something. Right. So then after graduation, you said you, you dabbled a little bit in finance and then um, you spent some time more on like the marketing and uh, digital marketing side of things, right? Yeah, exactly. So I uh, did that for probably uh, five, seven years uh, between a mix of ad agencies, uh, internal agencies, uh, consulting firms. And so that was uh, around uh, everything from copywriting mm -hmm. to uh, e email design, HTML, CSS, uh, creative design, and so on, yeah. What did you like most about that type of work, and uh, what, what didn't you like as much? Uh, what did I like? Uh, the creative side, I definitely liked the being able to come, uh, come up with out-of-the-box solutions. I guess uh, the thing I didn't like was uh, how, uh, how do you word this? The, the deadlines were very, very tight. Mm. And when it, when it comes to creativity, you can't force it. And I guess uh, being told that I have to come up with a specific creative idea for this date, uh, that's only you know a couple of days 
uh, out into the future, uh, it drove me a little bit nuts because I was forcing myself to come up with something that the client would think was creative, but yeah. I didn't really necessarily think was all that impressive, I guess. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, you know, the, the magic question is more around, um, you know, your ultimate desire and decision to start uh, your own company. What was that like thought process like? How how difficult or easy was it for you to actually pull the trigger and um, found your own company a few years ago? Yeah, so uh, it's something that lingered in my mind for a while. And uh, I was introduced to a organization called Founder Institute. They have chapters around the world now. Uh, and I was introduced to the Toronto chapter where they take you as an individual who has a business idea in over 12 weeks, it's a, a, a part-time boot camp to get you to the point where you're either going to pursue the idea or you figure out that it's probably not that good of an idea and you kind of start over, which has value in itself. If you learn over 12 weeks that your idea is probably not that good of an idea, it's probably a good thing because at least you're not you know, launching a business and then finding it out. So uh, that was my, I guess, foray into entrepreneurship or start startup world, mm -hmm. starting a business or becoming an entrepreneur is easy. You just register a corporation or a business number, but then being staying and being an entrepreneur is just a whole different uh, game. You really have to have a lot of uh, a high stress tolerance. You, you, you have to have a lot of um, time on your, not on your hand, but like it, it's a lot of time. You're putting hundreds of hours a week in to do everything from not just your building out the idea, but the bookkeeping, the formalities, the administration, and then uh, trying to convince people to invest in you. So yeah, it's uh, starting a company is easy. Keeping it open is a whole different. Right. <laughs> wow. So was that th the decision even to join Founders Institute? Was that a no brainer for you? In in that you know the opportunity cost was worthwhile for you to leave your corporate job and and uh, join the accelerator. Oh, yeah. So it's a good point. So I actually did it because Founder Institute is part-time. Oh, I was okay. able to keep my full-time job at that time. Oh, great. And the beauty of that is if after 12 weeks or even sooner, you realize that your idea is not that good, then great. You, you, you go to the, yeah, you go back to your <laughs> drawing board and then you go yeah. back to your normal job and That's you cool. haven't, um, you're not bankrupt or anything. So yeah, yeah I, I, I think highly of the Founder Institute. They, it's a great way to get started. And then what gave you the confidence to ultimately um, put in your resignation at your employer and decide to go all in on Johnton? Uh, so we finished Founder Institute, validated the idea, and then we went into a pitch competition. And then we ended up uh, placing first at the pitch oh, competition. Wow. So for us, it was like, OK, not only did we get through Founder Institute, uh, we uh, won a pitch competition that came with some uh, uh, prize money. So we were like, oh, now we have money to actually start the company. So that's that's when we said, okay, I think it's time to take this to the uh, or try to take it to the next level. Were you more excited than scared, or was it a healthy mix between the two? Uh, when I won, it was very exciting, and then <laughs> yeah. uh, reality sets in, and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I just quit my job, and um, I ha only have a set amount of money to try to figure this out with. So uh, it's, uh, I don't know if healthy mix is the right word, but it is a mix for sure. And uh, for listeners, this point in time that this happened was around when, 2016? 
like three years. Yes. Or, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. And for those who don't know, um, tell people what Jonten is and kind of what the benefits of the product are. Sure. So we are a software platform, software company for the insurance industry to help them distribute, manage, uh, interact with uh, consumers to distribute short-term insurance. So imagine being like a dog walker and you only want insurance for the day because you're a part-time dog walker. Uh, you only do it on Monday. So now you can get one day of insurance through our platform, through our insurance partners, obviously. So we're not an insurance company. We're just the software that powers all that. So as a user, you can now get one day of insurance or one hour of insurance even from an insurance company. And that in-between component is powered by us. It's very neat. And obviously, this uh, is riding off the coattails and um, the growth of uh, the on-demand uh, economy. Mm -hmm. um, so have you just really seen the demand for this uh, skyrocket and grow in the last few years just by virtue of so many more people kind of taking on odd jobs or being contractors and what have you kind of seen on the um, on the consumer user side? Yeah, uh, no, you've nailed it. So uh, we like to call them gig workers. Yeah. So Uber drivers, uh, whether it's healthcare for Uber drivers or liability insurance for dog walkers, uh, you've nailed it. The, the uh, industry is has shifted to part-time uh, workers or these gig workers. And the issue for the insurance companies is the traditional insurance products, the annual plans don't work anymore mm. because we're all used to one getting a year of house insurance, a year of car insurance. But now with gig workers, sometimes they only need one hour. So right. the insurance companies recognize that they know they can't sell a gig worker an annual plan because it's just too expensive. Mm. So they're looking for more flexible options, both the insurance company and the uh, consumer. So we've uh, fortunately for us, we started at a good time. So we have quite a bit of demand for our, our software or our solution, I guess. Great. And did the insurance companies just view this as like net new revenue or were they actually quite hesitant when you first approached them with this idea? They do at first hesitate, and then what I guess we do well is uh, we convince them that it is, at the end of the day, net new revenue. We're not trying to cannibalize their current annual products. Uh, we're trying to get them into a new market, so these gig workers. And at the same time, not only that we add value in the sense that if uh, you as a consumer get into an insurance company with an hourly insurance policy uh, early on, that insurance company can now sell you other products in the future. So the lifetime value of the uh, to the insurance company goes up. Mm. So our value is getting the consumer into the insurance company's purchase funnel or uh, sales funnel sooner. Mm. Makes sense. And as they grow in both their career and work, then that will hopefully lead to a, you know a lifelong relationship with the insurer. Yeah, so hopefully when you buy a car, you go with the same insurance company when you buy a house. Now you need a house insurance so, and so on. So, yeah. Got it. And what's the business model on uh, Jonten? So we charge the insurance company a setup fee to get integrated with us. And then uh, we charge a monthly SaaS fee or commission transaction fee, depending on who we're working with. Okay, okay, great. And can you share a little bit more about um, any metrics like uh, number of users or customers and geographies that you've uh, launched in so far? Yep. So we're live in uh, North America, hoping to go live in Europe uh, later this year. Uh, some of our, the ones that I can name, insurance partners that I can name is uh, Gore Mutual out of Cambridge, Ontario is one of our 
our partners through one uh, one of their brokers, uh, my broker, and then uh, let's see who else can I? I'm just trying to think who else I can name publicly. Uh, we have an agreement with a U.S. carrier to launch with them later in the year as well. Um, And I'm just uh, just uh, hoping to grow that uh, even more. Okay, got it. Cool. And you mentioned earlier um, kind of the stresses of running your own company. Mm -hmm. Can you share any anecdotes or stories of um, kind of the challenges that you faced as a entrepreneur? Yeah, I guess the one thing I uh, definitely underestimated is the amount of work that you need to do that's not core to your original idea. Mm. So that could be bookkeeping, that's uh, sales, that's legal, reading contracts even. Because as a startup, you can't afford expensive lawyers, so you have to trust your instincts and read not only read the contracts, but hope that you're interpreting it properly. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of admin and un, uh, unrelated work that to your core idea that I underestimated. So um, that's one thing that definitely chewed up a lot more time than I thought it was going to. So yeah, just a heads up to anybody that wants to become, a, become an entrepreneur. Right. There's a lot more to uh, becoming a, being an entrepreneur than just your core idea, I guess. <laughs> and have you ever been pushed to the limits where you seriously thought about going back to a corporate job? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I, uh, I even got to the point where I started applying to jobs. Uh, while uh, I thought we were going to get to the point where we might have to shut down the company. And mm -hmm. so I actually, just as a contingency plan, started actually applying to jobs. Luckily, we didn't go under, so uh, it worked out. But uh, I've, uh, I, yeah, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I definitely started applying to jobs and sending out resumes. <laughs> <laughs> was it a scary feeling? Like, oh my gosh, I might need to go back to my corporate job or was part of you also excited to potentially go back into you know typical nine to five uh definitely not excited to go back to nine to five i guess at that point when you're when you realize that you ha might have to shut down the company and mm. there's going to be a financial hit yeah you, you get into a bit of a desperate situation where you're like i'll take anything i'll take mm. anything with a steady paycheck nine to five but now that i'm in a better position i look back and i'm like oh thank god i didn't have to go back <laughs> to nine to five <laughs> And how big is the team now at Johnton? Uh, we are a team of six. Six people. And is it a mix of developers and business people or mainly on like the product and engineering side? Yeah, it's mostly product and engineering. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely one thing we have to do is start hiring more sales and non-tech people. But uh, that's the other thing is mm -hmm. it takes time. <laughs> so it takes time for me to meet with people, hire people. and. So it's, uh, it's a slow process, but it, we're getting there. And um, last question about Jontin before we switch gears is, tell me more about the name. Yes, so we originally started in travel insurance. Uh, mm. The original plan was to do this only in travel insurance. So the word jaunt, being a short trip or excursion, uh, made sense. So it was actually originally jaunting, mm. and then we dropped the G, so it's, uh, and it became jaunting. So I'll be the first to agree that it is, now that we've expanded past travel insurance, it's a bit of a disconnect. But because we built up that brand equity, yeah. uh, we're hesitant to change the name. But it might be something we need to consider uh, in the near future. Mm -hmm. Got it. Cool. 
And um, kind of switching gears to the the last part of our conversation, which is more about um, advice you might have for listeners. So one question is, how do you know when it's time to move on uh, from a role or a company? What advice would you give there? Yeah, if your day-to-day is clearly not, I mean, you're not happy and you're almost at that point or you're at that point where you you find yourself either lying to yourself or lying to your colleagues, like calling in sick when you're not uh-huh. uh, because you just don't want to be there. Uh, yeah, you have to stay true to yourself where mm-hmm. if you are really dragging yourself to go to work every day, it's probably a major red flag that you should probably start looking for something else. And and it's uh, what, becoming complacent is something we're all guilty of, but uh, it's not an excuse. You have to be happy. You, you, you think you can keep doing it, but at a certain point, if you're not happy, it just totally drains you and it affects other parts of your life. So mm. uh, even if you have to pay, take a pay cut to do something that will make you more uh, happy, I think uh, happiness is worth more than uh, an extra 10, 20 grand, whatever mm. it may be. So would you say you're definitely happier um, running your own company despite the added stress as compared to if you were to stay in a corporate job? Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, there are days still where I, I question myself, but I would say 90% of the time I am definitely feel more satisfied than if I were in a corporate job. Yeah. Mm. And who do you consider your mentor? Who are people, whether you know them personally or not, um, that you look up to? Oh, man, good one. Uh, mentors. Uh, who do I look up to? Who do I look up to? Um, I guess people like Jeff Bezos or even uh, Tim Cook, um, all these people that started tech companies from their garage because that's what we're more or less doing right now is we're not literally in a garage but it, it sometimes feels like it is uh to see those people and where what they've become from what uh where they started uh, really inspires me to keep going because it's uh easy to look at someone like jeff bezos and say oh wow he's rich uh, mm-hmm. he had it easy no he didn't he started in a basement he drove a broken down honda civic i'm, I'm sure you might have seen that on youtube um so yeah, it's it, it's easy to see someone's success, but and not their failures or challenges. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I see those people, I'm like, and what they have to go through, it keeps me inspired. Mm-hmm. So for you, do you feel like you have a clear vision of what success looks like for you? Because that can kind of vary between people. Yeah, um, not a clear vision for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I guess to be able to do this as long as I can, uh, because at the end of the day, startup is always going to be high risk until you get obviously yeah. big enough. <clears throat> so for me right now, it's like, can I continue to do what I do right now, which is what I love for as long as possible without thinking too much about, oh, do I want to sell the company in five years? I mean, if I do, great, but uh, it's not something that I constantly think about. Mm, got it. And are there any habits or routines that you do regularly to keep yourself in balance? Yeah, so exercise is key uh, for me. I we I do martial arts uh, on the side just to, just for the fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, so exercise is key, and then 
the other thing I guess I could say is get rid of Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those things will not only suck your time, but it sucks sucks your uh, energy and emotions. So, um, exercise, get off social media, or <laughs> at least reduce it. Uh, even Netflix, like, yeah, you got to get rid of all these distractions and focus on what you actually want to do. Yeah, yeah, got it. So martial arts, even though you know it's obviously requiring you to be very present and and use a lot of energy it's equally energy giving to you, right? It doesn't feel like it's um, sapping energy from you. Net -net. For sure, exactly, yeah, yeah nailed it. So uh, if for me, it, physically it's draining, but uh, yeah. mentally it's, it's a break actually, because when I'm uh, on the ground and someone's on top of me trying to you know, beat me up uh, in, <laughs> in a very formal setting, obviously, the last thing I'm thinking about is my startup. I'm more like, oh my gosh, how do I get get back home? I just need to survive. Yeah, exactly. So it's an hour or an hour and a half of of no startup thinking. Like I, I yeah. actually don't have the opportunity to think about my startup. Whereas outside of martial arts or even like before I go to bed, it's just like constant startup. And what, what martial arts do you do in particular? It's uh, karate is the core. And then we do some jujitsu. So it's a, I guess it's like, MMA with uh, yeah. karate as the core. Yeah. And have you ever had to use uh, your skills on any investors? <laughs> yeah, when they don't invest in me, I just exactly. like, give them the death grip. No, uh, not yet, fortunately. I'll let you know, though, if I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the last question before we wrap up is, you know, for people who want to learn more about you and Jonathan, what's the best place uh, for folks to, to stay in touch and, and keep active other than maybe social media? <laughs> uh, well, we're, I, I'll be honest, I am on LinkedIn, uh, so yeah. that's the best place to connect with me. Great. Uh, we do have a Twitter account, uh, Jontin with an S on the end, Jontin, uh, Jont I-N-S. Yeah. And then uh, Jontin.com is obviously our website, so uh, we have a blog on there that people can read and uh, keep up to date with us on. Awesome. And last, last, last question mm -hmm. is, what are your predictions for the Raptors next season? Ooh, not too good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess without that star player, we'll see how they do. We do still have a a good, um, what do you call it, like a deep team where everyone, we have a lot of solid players, not just the starters. So uh, fingers crossed, but uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on another title, unfortunately. Sorry, Toronto. <laughs> we might need you to uh, come back and uh, wave the flag to motivate all the fans. Oh, don't you worry. I've thought about it many times. <laughs> if I sell this company and uh, I, I move on, I think I would definitely do that for a season again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rain. This is a great conversation. I appreciate you um, sharing your story and I'm looking forward to seeing your and Jonathan's success. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. Please share this with your friends and follow us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Looking forward to our next conversation. And until then, take care.